Parables start off like pictures, then become mirrors, and then become windows. First, there's sight, as we see a slice of life in a picture. Then there's insight, as we see ourselves in the mirror. And then there's vision, as we look through the window of revelation and see the Lord. Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. My name is John Elmore. Welcome to Watermark Community Church. If you're here as a guest exploring the church or the faith, we extend to you a special welcome. All are welcome here every Sunday and often throughout the week. Last week, TA began a new series called Parables, in which we were taking a look at the parables that Jesus shared throughout the Gospels. And as Warren Wearsby has said, that these are pictures, that God in flesh has given to us that then become mirrors that reflect back to us our lives in the context of what God is showing and then eventually windows by which we can see God. T.A. kicked off by talking about the kingdom of heaven and how we, upon finding it, give all of ourselves in order that we might receive through Jesus all that God has for us. And today we are going to look at prayer. The parable that we're going to be talking about will show us a picture, a mirror, a window of prayer. Now, oftentimes the parables have titles given to them, a handle of like the prodigal son, the good Samaritan. This one really doesn't. There's not one that people uh, ascribe to it as a way to describe it. But what I would say and, and what we're going to call it for our purposes today is the friend at midnight or the midnight friend. It's found in Luke chapter 11, if you want to turn there. And the parable itself takes place in verse 5 through 8. Now, it's important contextually to see what happens before and then what happens after this parable. Before, the disciples go to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus begins Luke's account of the Lord's prayer, beginning with Father. Here you have the Son of God speaking and telling the apostles and disciples, you address God if you are with me and in me as father now. Then it goes into the parable, the friend who comes at midnight. And then after that, you have a, a more familiar passage likely of ask, seek, and knock, and these things will be given to you. If your earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more to the Father and will he give you now the Holy Spirit? And so here, even in this passage, it's Trinitarian in nature. You have the Son of God saying to address God as Father in prayer and that the Father will send the Holy Spirit. So let's read now together. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. This is Luke chapter 11, again, beginning in verse 5. And Jesus, he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you in verse eight right here, this is the hinge, the hinge for both us and for the character of God as he speaks about prayer. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, the NIV renders this shameless audacity. Yet because of his impudence, which has fallen out of use, because of his shameless audacity, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And so let's talk about the context here. You've got Jesus in the ancient Near East, 
in the context of Middle Eastern hospitality, which is a thing. If you've been to the Middle East, you know this to be true. They take hospitality to anyone, family, friend, even total stranger, as like this creed of life. I will never forget, I was in Jerusalem in, in the Palestinian quarter, Muslim quarter, in a Muslim man, I walk into his shop, and he's like, welcome, have a seat, and begins to pour me tea or coffee. And I've not bought anything. I didn't even buy anything from his store. I'm just like a guest in his presence. And so he has begun to pour out this hospitality. Jesus is saying, hey, if you're a friend and someone comes to you and you're in need and you go to your friend, he says, which of you would say this? Like, hey man, it's late. The door's already locked. I've shut the house down. I'm in bed. Uh, come back another time. The answer assumes a negative response. Like, no one, no, we would never do that. Like, everybody would get up and answer the door. And Jesus is saying, that's the Father. You think none of you would never turn someone down if they knocked upon your door in need, in their hour of need. You would never turn them away. How much more? The Father. That's the picture that he's given us. Now, it's a weird. Uh, he says, hey, I'm in bed with my kids. At that point in time, it would have been like one room house with one bed. Everybody would have slept on that mat. We used to have a phrase when our kids were little, like, you wake them, you take them. It's like there's bad timing, bad circumstances, and you've got a bad situation where you've got a friend who arrived on a journey and you have nothing to give them. The whole thing's bad. And yet the friend is like, I'm not even going to give this to you because of your, your, our friendship. I'm going to give to you what we need because you're, you have the shameless audacity to show up at my door and knock. So I'm going to give you what you need. And this is how God responds to us. And so the three points that we're going to see in the prayer, parable is when to pray, how to pray, and if you pray. When to pray, I'm going to say is is when you're faced with a problem. How to pray, I'm gonna say, is with bold humility. Because audacity carries with it a, a negative context. Like, how dare you have the audacity? There's a, there's a negativity there, so I'm gonna say bold humility. That's how to pray. And then if you pray, provision is promised. When to pray, how to pray. If you pray, let's begin. When to pray. When to pray, I'm going to say problems. When you're facing any problem in life. You could say need. I wrestled with this. Like, do I say need or do I say problems? I chose problems because of this. We talk about, you know, psychologically speaking, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like, you need water. You need food. You need clothing. You need shelter. You need, like, all these, these needs. And if you're like, well... I need a new job. It's like, well, do you really need it? Like you have a job, you want a new job, or maybe you, you don't have the gift of singleness and you desire to be married. Well, it's not a need. Like you're not gonna die if you don't have a spouse, but that's something that you are like wrestling with. We have all these things that you might fall into the category of problem, whereas need feels a little more collapsed. And so I'm gonna say when to pray is when you're faced with a problem, that problem would be a a pathway to prayer. Now, it's not the only path to prayer. We know this. You look at the scriptures and all throughout, you've got adoration and worship. There's thanksgiving. There's confession prayer. Like when you sin, we are to pray for one another 
and be forgiven and healed. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is confession of sin in prayer. There's also lament where you're crying out to God. You see David just doing this over and over. But here in the context of this parable, what is moving the person to prayer is a problem. And we have many, many problems in life. And I'm not talking about the the penultimate example of difficulty, but anything that it would draw you to God, the Father, by the Son, in prayer. And so it says, which of you has a friend that will go to him at midnight, lend me three loves, and and they won't answer from within, don't bother me, the door shut, I'm in bed with my kids. Like, nobody's going to say that. He knows that. It assumes the negative because of that hospitality. And he says, hey, that's how God is. Laura and I have had this question like, hey, at this time in your life, like, who's your, who's your middle of the night friend? You may be getting to know somebody on a business trip or in, in a community group. Like, hey, who's your middle of the night friend? That one that you can, I mean, pipe burst, health, accident, find out, you know, you get, you're like, I can call them at any hour of the night and I'm not gonna bother them like they're there for me. He says, God the Father is your midnight friend. You go to him at any time, at any need, under any circumstance, no matter where you are in your relationship with him. If you are in Christ, you're his child, you go to him, he's your midnight friend. And secondly, what it's teaching us, that's what we're to do. But the other thing is that this is the character of God. He's going to give you what you need. And so may our problems be the path that lead us to prayer. Prayer is not a designated time. It's not just our quiet time that we, that we pray and then we go about our business. We go about our work. We go about our, our stay-at-home mom, our homeschooling. We go about all the things, our school, our engagement, our sports. But rather, prayer becomes this like how we relate to God that we're, we're going throughout our day as we walk by the Spirit in relationship with God. And so I would say indifference in prayer is independence from God. That if you look at your life and if there's an indifference in prayer, it's independence from God. Because truly, like it says in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being. And so if you're looking at your life or an area of your life and you're like, I never, I never pray about that. Or I pray in the morning, but then go about my day and I don't pray again until I go back to bed, that, that what that shows is an independence from God in that area or in that time. And I want you to know, I, I stand up here with like a soberness of spirit as I kind of feel like a hypocrite of sorts, like, well, who am I? Like, I'm not, I'm not the one to hold up as the example of, man, I'm praying all day, every day, and that's, that's just all I do. There's so many times that I'll like get to dinner and I'm like, all right, kids, Hey, let's, let's pray, or who would like to pray and give thanks for the meal? And the thought occurs to me like, man, I don't, I don't think I've prayed since like that, before that meeting at 3 p.m. And my prayerlessness is an indicator of independence from God. And I think also, as we're not taking problems of any kind to God, that means we're carrying them. 
That it says in Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but rather take those problems to God. And he says the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. And so we're carrying weight that we were never meant to carry. We're not supposed to carry. We don't have the ability to carry. We're carrying all these things. And God's like, those are mine. Give those to me. And so rather than taking those to God, what that indicates, if there's prayerlessness, is that we're actually trying to be like God. If you're not taking them to God, you're trying to be like God. Like, God, you can, you can save me from hell, but as far as the here and now, like, I've got this. I don't, I don't need you. And I'm not going to go to you in prayer and take this to you or ask for wisdom or any kind of leading or guiding or provision because I'll figure it out. That prayerlessness shows that if we're not taking things to God, it's because we're trying to actually be like God. I spent two summers overseas uh, when I was in seminary, once in Haiti at an orphanage and the other time um, with this church in South Sudan. And I'll never forget the two pastors there, these, these life lessons that they taught me. Pastor Henri Getchens in Haiti Every time we would go anywhere, to the pharmacy, to the food clinic, to the wherever, uh, he would get in the car, put it in the ignition, and before he'd turn it, and without even saying, like, let's pray, he'd just be like, Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this vehicle. Thank you that there's gas in the tank. We pray that you would carry us safely. If there's anyone that we should stop and help along the way, would you lead us to them, and would you give us success in what we need to do today before we return to the orphanage? And like, turn over the car. I'm just like, I mean, he was just conversationally would move in and out of, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to God. I'm talking to you, I'm talking to God. And it's never left me. And so oftentimes he would just start talking. I'd be looking at him, I'm like, oh, oh, yes. Like, of course. As he just like moved through life and every opportunity and problem he was, he was taking before God. And, and then in Sudan, Pastor David Kaya Never forget, I was in the courtyard, we had had dinner, and I, 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 he kind of looked a little off, and I was like, Kai, are you okay? And he's like, I have, I have a headache. I was like, oh, I've got Advil. Hey, let me, let me go back to my room, I'll get Advil. And he goes, wait, wait, no, no. Let's first pray. And it was so instructive. I'm like, oh, I, because I am materially better off than my South Sudanese and Haitian pastors, I'm materially better off. I am actually spiritually worse off. That, that my possessions and my bank account have actually moved me into a place of where I'm operating as if I don't need God. Whereas, as James Wright, he has caused the poor to be rich in faith because they know, they know the reality that all of us have, that there is nothing we can do apart from him. John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But I, but I live as if I can all the time. And so prayer actually um, can show us and be the way out of our problems and lead us to the Father. And I think we have diseases here in America. We have diseases that we are particularly prone to that Pastor Henry and Pastor Kyle weren't. And they're the diseases of entitlement and expectations an affluenza that I just, I deserve more. I should have that. And because I have things, I can work my way out of problems. And those diseases will keep us from prayer. 
But prayer can cure us from those diseases as we're going and taking everything to God. Also, prayer is a pulse. Prayer is a pulse. Like before the age of 30, when I trusted in Jesus as an alcoholic business person down in Austin, Texas, I never prayed. I didn't pray about anything. I'm like, I get the job. I get the money. I get the girl. I get the career path. I get the clients. Like I'm the one doing all of that. And I was totally dead spiritually. And then he saved me out of my alcoholism and sin, gave me a new life through Jesus Christ, my Lord, having trusted in him. And all of a sudden it's like, and realized, and you could see a pulse that there was life in me spiritually by my prayer. The prayer was an indicator, like, oh, there's, there's life there now. As I realized, like, I can do nothing apart from him. He was the one, even in my pagan life, dead in sin, that was still allowing me to have food and, and an income and any kind of anything, like he was still giving it to me. God sends rain on the unrighteous and the righteous. But now there was prayer. And so that, that pulse can be strong as a believer or it can be weak as a believer. And it does, it ebbs and flows in various ways throughout our life as it's like, like sin can weaken that pulse of prayer. Sometimes we draw away like our, our, our spiritual and fleshly father prior Adam, who when he sinned, like withdrew from God and that pulse can start to weaken. Like, well, now how, how can I go to you? I've just sinned against you. And we hide in our shame. But may throughout, because of Jesus, we boldly approach the throne of grace with all of our problems, whether from the world and its fallenness or even that are self-inflicted. But for the believer, prayer can show if you're thriving with God or if you're striving as God without prayer. Never forget, we were, um, I was at Baylor living at 9th and Bagby in Waco, real close to the campus there. And we used to live in these matchbox homes. They all should have been condemned. Uh, many of them have been now. They've been scraped and people built McMansions and they're making McMillions as Baylor parents are stroking these crazy rent checks. And uh, all the Aggies are like, that's right. And the Baylor, the Baylor parents are like, oh my goodness. And, and our, I'll never forget, we're, we're there at 9th Street and we have this rattly glass door and, and somebody's like pounding on it in the middle of the night. And then before, I, I lived right by the front door and before I could even like get down out of my bed and open the door, these girls come pouring in and they're hysterical. And they're half dressed. And so we're like grabbing blankets, like what is going on? And then you see past them down 9th Street and their house is engulfed in flames, burning down. Now they lived a full block away from us. They had run past five houses and an apartment complex to get to our house, but they knew that we would either be up, we never locked our door, they would be able to come in there, get what they needed, call 911, but that they could come to us. And I think as I talk about when we pray, that it's when we face problems, they knew we can go there. But I think rather than going five houses down, we stop at the house of money. We're like, well, maybe this can fix my problem. Or we stop at the house of worldly wisdom. Or we stop at the house of Google 
and do a search of like, well, what should I do? That our problems take us to the five houses prior before we ever be like, oh, okay, well, finally, we're at the fifth house of God. Like, I'm, at the, I'm at the end of my rope. I guess it's come to this. I guess I'll finally, man, I don't have to try. I've exhausted every other effort. I guess now I'll pray. God's like, come to me first. You skip all those houses. You come to me first. You face a problem. You come to me in prayer. And I'm going to provide through various ways as you pray. This past week, I had two very dear friends lose very dear family members um, to death. And so I'll be going to a funeral after this service. And I've been praying, we have been praying for God, the God of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1, to just pour out comfort on these people. Those have been our prayers. But the other thing that I prayed for this week, for those, like, God, please, like, help them in this death and loss and saying goodbye until they're united again in Christ forevermore. But the pain, the other thing that I prayed for uh, was this. I, we, I, I used this, I got a dozen of these off of Amazon to lock our back gate. We were gonna be out of town. And so I like, the kids are in and out of the gate all the time. So I just need a carabiner because I'll never find the key, I'll lose that. But the kids always take the carabiners off and they never, I don't know what they do with them, they, they vaporize, they're gone. Um, and I was down to my very last one and we were leaving. I'm like, I need, I need to lock the gate from the inside. And I go and I'm like, oh, where did they put the carabiner? It's the night before we leave. And I'm so frustrated and I'm, I'm walking away. And I just, I mean, not this like holy pleading, our father who art in heaven. It was just like, Lord, will you help me find the carabiner? As I walk back to the backyard. And no joke, I turn back around and I see like in the light, it just shut, hit that silver piece. And I was like, you even care about carabiners. <laughs> but it wasn't because he cares about carabiners, he cares about me. And so it's like crazy that you can pray to God and you should for death and loss and hardship and divorce and miscarriage and for carabiners. The smallest thing. Like how ridiculous would it be if I'm like, hey kids, if you're, if you're ever in a dire situation, like if you're drowning, if, you, if you're maybe about to be kidnapped, you, you call out to me. But if you need a pencil, if you need a waffle, don't bother me. What kind of dad would I be? And God cares. He cares about the big and heavy and he cares about the little and tiny because he cares about you. And so when to pray, you pray your problems. And we should be doing this, like in regeneration, tomorrow night, a thousand people are going to gather, they're going to confess sin, and they're going to get prayed for. They're not going to get condemned or shamed. They're going to confess sin, and they're going to get prayed for, that God might heal. And on Wednesday night, it re-engage. Those couples are going to be prayed for. And every community group that anyone's a part of, like we share, and then we cover the person in prayer. And after this service, people are going to be able to come forward and be prayed with and for for whatever the problem may be. And at five o'clock every Sunday in the chapel, there's gonna be an outpouring of prayer because in this trouble, you'll, in this world, you'll face troubles of many kinds. And so when do we pray? We pray with our problems. May they take us to our loving Father. And secondly, how do we pray? How do we pray? We pray with bold humility. 
with bold humility. This is the, where the NIV re- renders it, shameless audacity. And bold humility sounds like a strange combination, right? Like in this world, there are strange combinations. You've got sriracha ranch, which is sriracha. You got like this really spicy Asian condiment. And then you've got like the Texas topping that goes with carrots and pizza and spaghetti and like ranch on everything. You mash those up and it sounds horrific until you taste it. And you're like, that's, that's the best thing on this created earth, sriracha ranch. And, and the manufacturers figured it out and you can now actually have it pre-mixed in the same bottle because it's just meant to be. It's like salted caramel. You've got salt and sweet and you'd think, oh, and then you're like, oh. I was with my daughter in a gas station. We walked in and she's getting whatever she's getting. I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Because sudden, some strange combinations are good. Some should never be. I, I saw in the cooler, this was right around Easter time. They had, no joke, this is anathema, Peeps Pepsi. It's a thing. And I, and, I, and I reached for it and I, I was turning over the can like this has got to come with a shot of insulin. Like how could you, <laughs> the, the amount of sucrose, Peeps infused Pepsi. And I was like, that's a bad combo. But how to pray in the combination of bold humility is the combo. It is the essential combination by which, only which you can go to God in prayer. And humility, humility is the antithesis of pride. You, pride is prayerlessness. Like, I don't need you. I don't want you. I got this. Humility is like, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm, I'm desperate. But humility also uh, can, can kind of carry this like sheepishness, maybe a meekness, a withdrawing of like, oh, they're so humble. They would never put themselves forward. Whereas boldness Boldness is, is like, no, I'm, I, am, I am here. I am asking you exactly for what I need. The opposite of boldness would be like timidity or fearfulness. And it says in the scriptures that perfect love drives out fear. And so there is this strange combination that seems like it would not go together. And Jesus right here is saying, no, it, it must go together. This, this bold humility, the shameless audacity is exactly how you approach God. And you're like, well, who am I? Psalm 8, like who, who is man that you are mindful of me when I consider the works of your hands and the fingertips and all that you've created? Like, Who am I? And he's like, you've got to approach with bold humility. Like humility, like I can't, you can. And boldness of like, I am going to take Jesus at his word that when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. The first word you uttered in Luke chapter 11 was, Father. And I think they would have done a double take at that point in time. Like, no, we said, teach us to pray. Like we know how, that's how you pray. You're the son of God. You pray to the father, but we said, teach us to pray. He's like, that's right. If you are in me, you call upon God as your father with bold humility. In the scriptures, um, the Greek word, so ESV, uh, says impudence, 
which is a word that's fallen out of use. It's a Greek word. It's, it's called a hapax legomenon, which means it is used one time in the entirety of the scripture, which makes it difficult contextually like, wait, what does that word mean? It's anadeon, anadeon. It's like, well, where else is that used? Like, what is that? And so you look to Homer. Homer uses it as shame or shameless. And so that's the shameless audacity that you would have the, the nerve to do something, but here as a father, you can approach, must approach with that humility and boldness. Penny, our daughter, seven-year-old, got sick the other night, so we're dead asleep in our bedroom, and all of a sudden, just like, door flings open. She's like, Daddy, I threw up. So I was like, Laura, you're on. (laughs) I think she said, Mommy. I could have swore she said, Mommy. She's like, Daddy, I threw up. And I was like, okay, baby, okay. Like, lights are off, and I touch her, and it was warm and slimy. And I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And like taking her clothes down and getting the water going and get her all cleaned up. And I, and I walk into her room because I'm like, oh man, I hope she just like made it to the bathroom. And I turn it on I mean, I open the door, no joke. It's like a Jackson Pollock. It was on the wall. It was on the wall. I literally, I was like, Hey, did you do that on purpose? Like, what happened? She had, she had thrown up and then flung the covers and it was like, Wreck! I was like, oh. So I'm in, I'm like, it's on the wall, it's on the door, it's on the clothes, it's on the girl. We get her all done. And I'll, I'll, I don't think I'll ever forget this. I'm tucking her in bed. Uh, and, and, and by the way, she, she had thrown up because she had too, man, too much sugar. Like this was thoroughly self-inflicted. And so my compassion level, anyway, different message. The father's compassion, not me, perfect father. Uh, I'm tucking her in bed and I'm, I'm like rubbing her head and she goes, daddy, thanks for taking care of me. I'm like, well, what else would I do? What am I gonna do, tell you to clean yourself up? Like, that's my job. It's my job to take care of you. You're my little girl. And I think so oftentimes when we're like in our, in our sin, our addiction, our pornography, our pride and control, our worry and fear, we're like, God, you saved me from hell, but, but this, this, I did this. And he's like, who else is going to clean you up? Like I'm the only one that can clean you. I live to clean you. I am not mad at you. I will cleanse you by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no other way, no other person, no other means to be clean. You must come to me. You've got to bust through my door and say, daddy, I'm sick. It's the only way. There's humility there, but then there's also the boldness. And so the boldness, uh, (laughs) this is the audacity part. The humility is like, Daddy, I threw up. Like, look what I did. The boldness, I think about, you know, this friend, the context, it's like, he's knocking on the door. It's midnight. He's got kids, all this stuff. And he's like, I don't know, where else am I going to go? Like, who else am I going to ask? I'm like, I don't have anything to give him. I've got a need. You've got provision. So I'm knocking on your door. Here I am, shameless audacity. We were mudding uh, again at Baylor, freshman year, idiot. I had an 85 Ford Bronco. And it had 33-inch tires, which doesn't mean anything to women, but to guys, you're like, yeah, that's right. Uh, I have an inner redneck somewhere there that Dallas has not 
quelched yet, but it's a lifted truck. We're mudding and we go down into this rock quarry, which I thought would be super fun, like down at the bottom. Well, it had been raining mud and, and all the water had gone down into the quarry. So we're going down and all of a sudden the truck just like stops. And I was like, that's weird. It wasn't weird. I was spinning my tires. I go to open my door. No joke. The door pushes mud. Like I had mud all the way up to my floorboard, which means I was not going anywhere at any time, period. And then as we're like, I've got one foot in the mud, one in the truck, just like, what do I do? And nothing was the answer. All these spotlights all of a sudden light up the quarry. And we're like looking through the light and I can see a bunch of silhouettes of men and one of them is like this. I was like, I don't think that guy's got an itch on his back. I think he's about to draw on us. I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry because we were trespassing. Uh, and whatever those great men were making with their rock quarry. And I was like, I'm so sorry. We're just mudding. And they're like, are y'all the one that have been shooting up our trailer? And I was like, no, we have not been shooting up your trailer. I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and someone had been out there and had been like, popping off rounds into their construction trailer. I was like, we were not shooting your trailer. And then the boldness. I was like, is there any way you could pull me out? <laughs> Brother's got his hand on a gun. I'm trespassing. They've got us in spotlights on their property. Like, take us to jail. And I'm like, oh, could you pull my truck out? could you do me a favor? Do me a solid? I'm sure he's like, you've got to be kidding me. Okay. Gotta love Texas. There's Middle Eastern hospitality and there's Texas hospitality. No joke. I was like, he's like, how? I was like, I got a tow rope. He's like, okay. Like backs up his backhoe. Like beep, beep. Then hold him, put the gun away. We didn't become buddies. I wish we would have. Maybe he's out there somewhere. Trust in Jesus. Let's be friends. Nonetheless, pulls the Bronco out. Here's the deal. That was 100% self-inflicted. I did that. I had sinned against that person and he is now helping me. And Jesus says the exact same thing. I don't care what you've done. There is no other way. You must come to me. Satan is going to lie to you and be like, well, how dare you? You know what you did. He'll lead you into sin and then he'll rub your nose in it and be like, you better not go to God. God's going to be so disappointed. God's not going to help you. You did this. And we did and he will. And be like, I am the only one who can pull you out. I live to pull you out. Ask me, just ask me with bold humility. Knock on my door. I will do it. I live to do it. It's why Jesus came and there is no other way. And so your prayers are an expression of your heart belief of who you are and who God is. And may we go to him in prayer and with thanksgiving. You know, right here, Jesus is just teaching like, hey, you go to him for everything. And then we get the full context of scripture and you look at Philippians chapter four and it says, um, in everything, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that we do it with thanksgiving. Colossians 4, 2, that we're to pray, watch, and give thanks. So there's this gratitude as we know, like, God, you, you live to do this. 
So when to pray with problems, how to pray with bold humility, and then finally, if you pray, if you pray, provision is promised. You see, on the how to pray with bold humility, the first half of verse eight, I said that was their hinge verse, is with that shameless audacity, that bold humility. But then the second half of the verse is gonna tell us about the character of God. That's, that's how to pray. Now it's if you pray, provision is promised. It says this, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. As much as you need. Now this is not license for the prosperity gospel. It says need and not want. And James writes, as he's talking about sin, and he says, you receive not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask that you might spend it on your own pleasures and desires. He's like, oh, unlike T.A.'s message last week, where it was all about the kingdom of heaven, you're trying to build the kingdom of John. I see what's going on here. I know why you're asking for the money, for the job, for the things. This is kingdom of John, not kingdom of God. And he says, he will get up and give you whatever you need. And may our needs align with the heart and mind of God as we walk with God. And then he's going to give us our needs, meet all of our needs according to the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. When we were um, newlyweds, we, we sometimes would eat dinner in our underwear. It's not what you think. I drew you off sides there. You're like, oh boy, look at the time. Let's leave early. We lived in this, we rented this old M Street house. They had painted the windows shut. It had this like excuse for an AC system. It, it was 88 degrees inside, full AC. And so we're literally like sweating, like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like eating hot food. It wasn't because we were so in love with each other, though we were, Laura. But because it was like, this is unbearable. And so we're sitting there in our underwear like, <laughs> and I mentioned this and somebody was like, hey, you know, David Zena um, used to have part in an uh, insulation company. And I was like, well, I mean, it's a rental house and I mean, I'm, I'm broke. Like, I don't, and they're like, no, you should call him. I was like, okay, I'll call him. So I called David Zena. He's now my boss, works here at the church here at the church. I was like, hey, um, I don't have a lot, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what's the address? Like, oh, that was easy. No joke, brother pulls up with a truckload of insulation. And like, we began eating our meals clothed, like people should. <laughs> now, I would guess that that summer in Dallas, many, many people needed insulation. And David probably would have given it to him. But I was the one who asked. And because I asked, I received which is what Jesus says immediately after this passage. Ask, seek, and knock. Your fathers who are evil know how to good give gifts. How much more your heavenly father and will not he give you the Holy Spirit, which is the ultimate need. And so we go to him with our needs. It says in The Magician's Nephew, which is a C.S. Lewis book and part of the Chronicles of Narnia, and I read this with my kids, and I can never shake it. I've said it before from the stage, and I'm going to say it as long as I'm on this stage because it's profound. So Polly and Diggory, these two kids that Aslan has sent out into Narnia, they're, they're with this flying horse, as only C.S. Lewis could make cool. And, and they get to where they're going, and the, the horse lands and starts eating grass. And he's like, go on. Let's have lunch. And they're like, we don't eat grass. And, and Diggory, the boy, is, is really perturbed. And he's like, 
You'd think that Aslan would have prepared lunch for us. The talking horse says this. I've no doubt he would, said the horse, but I've sort of an idea he likes to be asked. God will give you what you need. Will we have the faith to ask, the bold humility to go before him and ask? And here's the thing. In the context also is Jesus, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Give us our day, our daily bread. Then say daily steak, daily bread. I'm going to give you what you need. It may not be what you expect. It may not be when you expect. It may not be in the means of how you would expect. But I am going to meet your needs because I'm your father. Your job is to knock. My job is to provide. If you pray, provision is promised. God is not man that he should lie. He will provide. And also, it says daily bread just before this parable. It doesn't say annual bread. And I think that's a really good thing. Because if I asked for annual bread, that would be the last time God would hear from me that year. I would go to him once a year when I had a need. And instead, God has so ordained that he's going to keep his children in daily dependence upon him. May we be. May we be. You remember my daughter, probably at 2 a.m., who just like burst into my room. There are very few people who can come into my room unannounced, my bedroom, at night but my children can every time they have a need. They know. They don't knock. They just waltz right in because they know that I'm their father. And there are some here today, you're not going to God as your father because you don't know Jesus as your savior. In fact, Jesus said on the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the father except through the son. And so you must have Jesus as your savior, believing that he lived a sinless life, died on the cross for your sins and raised from the dead. And if you have Jesus as your savior, then you have God as your father. And today that could be the greatest gift that you receive is having placed your faith in Jesus, been adopted by the father. And then as this parable, the verses after conclude, you receive the Holy Spirit. He will come and dwell in you forevermore. So you're going to see on the screen as we go now to a time of prayer, the three points, because I think they're going to be instructive for us as we pray. That when we pray is when we face problems. How we pray is with bold humility as a child now of a father, your heavenly father. And that if you pray, provision, though it may not come as or if or when or how you would expect provision is promised. And so I'm going to give, we're going to give you now a time to pray and apply this very thing and then we'll come back together and we will pray more through song. So let's pray now.
Lord, thousands of prayers have just been prayed by thousands of people, and that's just this church, let alone your church worldwide. And so from cancer to carabiners, thank you for how you care for us as a loving father, for all of those who have trusted in the Son and thus received the Spirit. And now, Lord, may we continue in this prayer as we sing in prayer to you, for you alone are worthy of all praise. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Y'all, if you would, please stand now and sing to your risen Savior.